The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much. Um, Nets were cut. We got playoffs coming, and opening day happens. So, what's going on? Draft coming up soon. And, yeah, I'm excited for it all. Let's go. Well, we're going to start with uh, letting everybody know where they can find the episodes. You can find Know the Score on the web at CSPN.us. You can also find us through your various podcast apps. Just search Know the Score KTS Pod, and uh, you'll get this programming in your podcast queues. So, um, you know, nothing really much happened on Monday night, you know. Um, it was just a regular Monday, you know, like Monday Night Raw came on and it was the Raw after Mania and it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a glorious, glorious occasion. I mean, there was nothing Uh, else really uh, going on. Raw after Mania is not the same. It hasn't been the same since we started, Sean and I, I shout out to, shout out to my homie there. Um, we, we went to that first one and. Uh, 2013. That's when Raw Domania really started. But other things did happen, though. I don't recall any of those things, sir. What happened? <laughs> A certain game called the National Championship. Oh, you mean that one where the team I root for looked great for a half and then circumstances happened in the second half and we lost? The greatest, the greatest second half comeback in in NCAA championship history, maybe. It's a little, 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 a little. And, and here's the thing: I'm not even um, the most watched game on cable in history. Eighteen point one million viewers. This is a pretty big. That was a pretty big game. Yeah, strength of North Carolina. Being in a national championship, you know. Um, you're welcome, Kansas. <laughs> we've been helping y'all. Y'all helped us once, and we've been helping y'all ever since. <laughs> well, let's just say the series is about even. That's because the last couple of times y'all been catching us not at 100%. That's some bullshit, man. Hey, hey. I, I, I can't help. I can't help if... If people can't land on their wrists for the right way, or, or, I can't help. And, 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 and while we're at people not being a hundred percent, even though it may not have looked good, um, we had guys that were not a hundred percent as well. Oh, oh, don't tell me that you, one of your main guys, your or. Let's put it this way in North Carolina's case, their main guy 
wasn't a hundred percent. Damn, Florida been playing on a bad foot all season long. It didn't look like it, but did you see the, playing on bad foot all year long? Did you see the floor move, and then he rolled his ankle? I did not. I oh. did not until I saw the replay of it. Oh uh, yeah. I, let, let's let's make it perfectly clear. I did not want that to happen. I did not want that to happen. I did not want, you know, I don't know how that wasn't picked up earlier in the game because I don't know if that was just a freak incident or because that should have been something that was picked up in the 48 hours in between. Um, which I'm, I'm probably sure that it was. I worked in the arena. I worked with basketball floors. I have seen loose floorboards happen. I know that even when there's not much in between those 48 hours, the floor is always inspected. The floor is always checked. Now, how did that happen that late in the game, that, perf- that unfortunate timing? I won't say perfect because nothing's perfect about a guy getting hurt, but that unfortunate timing. And let's make it perfectly clear. I gave Armando Baker a whole lot of credit because that man is a warrior. And, you know, he was a problem in that first half. And I I knew that was going to be an issue. And I didn't know how, because uh, Kansas hasn't played many teams that have had similar height advantages. So that's why I was so interested. And on top of the fact, the guy has a high motor. So, yeah, I saw what happened late. And nobody, you never want anybody to get, re, get their in, ankle re-injured. And what was even worse about that, I think the players on that on the KU team saw it too because they were slowing down instead of having the instinct to just say, hey, we got five on four. Let's score a basket. They literally slowed the game down, either trying to run the clock out well, they also kept looking looking back down the court and seeing what happened. So it's not like it was taken advantage of well, until at that out point, of the game. Yeah, at that point in the game, that's the one tactical thing I think Hubert Davis could have done different. You've got to make your substitution, okay? Kansas allows you to substitute without scoring right there, right? Right. So you got to take Baycock out, okay. So he takes Baycock out, he puts Puff Johnson in, which is not a problem. But what he should have done was took Manic out for defense because Manic had four fouls. And basically, if you keep Manic in, you're just in, you've got to shift him over to play center, and you're just inviting Kansas to make just one pass into the post. Where if you insert Justin McCoy right there, at least he can body up. I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, you're a big man. But he can at least play at least a little bit more aggressively on defense right there because basically that is the one stop Carolina needed to make because it was just a one-point game right there. Um, and it allows McCoy to, if he catches it too deep, to just foul him. 
where right. Manning couldn't do that because he's too important on offense. And the way that Kansas was shooting free throws, it wouldn't have been guaranteed that exactly. he would have made both of them. So, this, so I think as far as strategy goes from Carolina side in that game, that was the one thing I thought that was kind of if you if you probably could go back and do it again, he would make that double switch because if he makes the two free throws, or if he just scores the basket straight up, you still have timeout, so you can take your timeout to substitute. It wouldn't have been a um, you know something where he wouldn't have been able to get Manic back in the game with Carolina in possession of the ball. So, um, oh, go ahead. Then you also got to look at it like this as well. Um, KU was scattered in that first half. Um, they got to a quick start like they did against uh, Villanova. Um, and But unlike the Villanova game where it went wire to wire, uh, you know, they were called for 10 and a half minutes. Yeah, the last 10-27, they only had a total of three field goals. They only played. They only scored probably in that stretch like three points, um, and a total of six by halftime. Um, and I will say that by that point, I didn't know how they were coming out in the second half. I didn't expect. I was just like, we'll just see what happens. Um, this is probably payback for that 08 game where we went up to 40 to 12 to start the game and end up winning that one. But um, I just knew that, at, you know, once I saw the alley in that second half, uh, that started the second half from uh, DeLon Harris to David McCormick, I was like, okay, game on. Let's see what we can do here and then and uh those last 90 seconds of the game i don't think i felt anything like i was um completely completely numb like my body was completely numb and you know i just really i felt like not only did they ratchet the defense up i felt like they I felt like they were able to run. And uh, when Leaky Black got that fourth foul, that really got Ochai Baji going. And also Christian Brown, he had like three straight baskets that really got uh, Kansas going. And Well, the, the difference in the second half was this. Kansas, North Carolina, a Caleb Love could not make those shots in the second half that he'd been making all tournament. He his layups were he was missing his layups, his threes were not going in. So and Remy blocked that shot. So bad Caleb Love showed up in the national championship game. So let's start there first and foremost. But that was being overcome for the most part because in the first half they were finding everybody manic hat points. um, RJ had points. Baycott was getting to the free throw line, making his points. You know what I'm saying? So they were controlling the game in that sense. What happened in the second half was, especially after how the first half ended, Bill Self realized that, hey, North Carolina's set up defense is 
too good for our offense tonight. Like they basically have a read on our stuff and they're playing it very well and they're defending it very well. So the biggest change was they rebounded a lot better in the second half because Carolina missed more shots and they weren't getting offensive rebounds. And then that, like you were saying, they took those rebounds and then started pushing the ball. So Baycock was never going to get down the court anyway. As, unless Carolina could keep scoring so to set up the defense. So they weren't going up against North Carolina's set-up defense or going up against their transition defense. And Caleb Love not scoring the ball made him uninterested on defense, and they took advantage of that with Brown to get him going. Then Caleb Love turns his ankle, and then he just completely emotionally is all checked out of the game and he starts making turnovers, live ball turnovers, which helps the transition game. And that's how the lead evaporated so fast. Carolina didn't um, get the ball to Manic in scoring positions in the second half uh, at all. Um, the, one guy, though, the one guy who almost won that game, though, for Carolina was Puff Johnson. Because he was the one person who seemed to be able to – I knew when Leaky Black went out of the game that I was texting my friends in our chat. I was like, look, Puff has got to make these shots that he's going to have. He's going to have open threes. He's just going to have to make them. He's not scared to take them. I knew that was not going to be the case. I knew that it, the shots that were there he was going to take. But it, it was the ability for him to make them. And he, and he missed the first one, made the second one, got a nice backdoor – got uh, an offensive rebound and a putback. So he was actually providing that, like, maintaining spark that Carolina needed. And then somebody apparently hit him in the stomach or something and knocked the wind out of him, and they had to substitute him. And that took off. I, I didn't see that. Well, that's what they said. Dry. That's what they reported. It looked like he just dry heaved himself. Like, I... Well, he might have been too excited and got himself winded or something, but... um. Puff Johnson was almost the hero there. I thought that next I think that next year, as long as he's not injured, if Carolina comes back as mostly constituted with Baycock, Love, and RJ, insert Puff into that small forward position. And that gives Carolina something that they haven't had over the past two to three seasons with Leaky Black as somebody who is a threat to score from the small forward position. It's been five on four when you play Carolina offensively because Leaky Black's not really a threat. I mean, you know, he's a slasher. He'll take, you know, things that are available. But Pub Johnson is not scared, and he definitely almost was the force to get us over the top, but just didn't quite work out. But I cannot be – angry or sad or disappointed or mad. This isn't like the 08 squad that was just like, yeah, this is our year and we've been rolling through everybody and we only got three losses and we better come in here and knock out Kansas and didn't happen. Um, but this team has taken us on a ride that we did not think we would go on, especially after the 20-point loss at home to Duke. That was never really a game, especially after the loss at home to Pitt where everything about the season seemed to be in peril as far as the postseason NCAA. 
Um, if you remember back to when we previewed the tournament, my deal was, hey, just beat Marquette and show up against Baylor. Don't get blown out. Don't quit and give, give them a, 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 a good game. And I was satisfied. And so everything else that has come from this, getting a chance to play Duke in the Final Four and officially seeing Coach K home uh, for the rest of his career – is the icing the national championship just would have been the surreal end to it all but i'm satisfied with the final four run the two wins against duke ending coach k's legacy um a stellar first half against kansas and knowing that probably if our top gun baycock is 100 percent, that you know that probably goes a different way um but it was just Kansas night. Caleb Love contributed a lot to that. And you have to do, give them a lot of credit, Bill Self, for the adjustment of not trying to go up against Carolina's uh, set defense in the second half and, and getting the game more up-tempo into transition. Um, now, in the past, that probably would have not been the way that you would play North Carolina due to Roy Williams and Dean Smith. They, Their philosophy is if all things are equal and we're the more talented team or we have our, you know, we have our guys understanding what we're going to do. The more times we can touch the ball, the more times we're going to score and you're not. And we're going to beat you that way. Uh, this North Carolina team, Hubert Davis, really, really stressed to them a defensive first mentality. And once they started locking in defensively, um, they began to win games and, and began to be a tougher team because they were a defense first team. And... Um, and I think that Kansas kind of – Bill Self kind of realized that and was like, yo, these boys are, are really locked in on what we're doing in our half court. So if we can get this into more of a full court game with one of their guys hobbled up and down the court, put more stress and strain on him to get back or at least, you know, run up and down the court more um, and not at his own pace, then, uh, I, you know, it was effective. And so you just have to tip your cap to Bill Self. And I guess it's time to talk about him. Uh, his second national championship um, – under the radar this season a lot team was just kind of steady like you said they dealt with some injuries and um you know they really relied on their depth to kind of get them through the season and then of course in a tournament that allows you to have more players with more confidence step up in big big spots um which ultimately in the second half proved to kind of do carolina in they just didn't have enough guys to kind of bring off the bench to kind of keep up with Kansas uh, late in that second half. But just talk about Bill Self. Um, you know, he looked like he might have been close to getting a heave-ho. And three years later, he's uh, hoisting the big trophy. So your thoughts yeah. there as the Kansas fan on this podcast? Yeah. Um, so a lot happened this season. Uh Remy Martin, he only averaged three points a game in conference play, but he was also hurt. Um, but he came back in the tournament at the perfect time. Actually, the Big 12 tournament was the springboard to his success in the postseason. Um, Ochai Baji, um, who was supposed to redshirt his freshman year, but they needed players. Um so he ended up not redshirting, and he has evolved into the player that you know he became um, uh, with um, just being a Naismith Player of the Year candidate, Wooden Award candidate, 
think for Kansas, uh, David McCormick, um, Christian Brown, Dewan Harris, those two have been friends since the seventh grade. They and they won a national championship together. That's pretty awesome. Mitch Lightfoot, um, the super super senior. Um, everybody talked about Perry Ellis, who only played four years, looking like he played seven. Mitch Lightfoot was actually there for six, and and um, he gets the title. Um, and and of course the big man who put the team on the on the um, in the position of win, David McCormick. He was great in the Final Four. Um, like I said, twenty nine. A lot of those games, he was really playing on the bad foot himself. But you gotta give the training staff a lot of credit, um, and himself a lot of credit because he was literally what I was watching. Bill Self interview basically said McCormick was rehabbing that foot seven days a week for three hours out the day each day. So that that's probably why it didn't look like he was hobbled, but yeah, he he had games where he was not that great, but you could also tell his mobility wasn't all that great either. But he did find that at the perfect time in New Orleans. Um as for Bill Self He's the winningest head coach in Kansas history. He's uh, past Fog Allen. He's um, past Roy Williams. Um, winning, he's got two national titles now, um, which is the most in most NCAA titles in um, in Kansas history now. Um, and of course, with the legacy that Kansas has. Kansas has only had eight head coaches in the program's history. And ironically, the inventor of the game, James Naismith, has the losing record. Um, but when you have a school with the inventor of the game starting the basketball program, um, his, his understudy basically taking what he learned and basically being the father of modern college basketball. Um, he coached two legendary coaches as well uh, by the names of Adolph Ruff and Dee Smith. And, you know, these those two learned from Fog Allen. They started their own legacies at Kentucky and North Carolina, respectively. Um, and then... Allen gets his title in 52. Then after he gets his title, he retires. Um, Dick Carp takes over, of course. Uh, did he get a chance to get that national title with Will, uh, that triple overtime game in uh, against Carolina, ironically? Um it's just crazy how these two programs are intertwined with one another as well. Um, but for Bill Self, um, you know, the conference championships, the the streak that was going on for the last for the fourteen years, um, the dominance that Kansas has had playing in Lawrence, um, being a, a 16th conference title at Kansas as well. 
Uh, he's definitely the greatest uh, Kansas coach in history at this point. I think he's surpassed Paul Gallon. I think, you know, if there is ever going to be a new facility that would replace the Allen Fieldhouse that would have Bill Self's name on it, um, you know, it's kind of like this court's named after James Naismith, the arena's named after um, Fog Allen, but you're going to have some something involving Bill Self there in the future. Uh, regardless of this uh, case that's coming up, um, I think the NCAA has really been sitting on their hands more so on this because. Strip the title. No, I'm just playing. Maybe. <laughs> It doesn't involve these kids. It's anything. They'll strip anything from D'Souza back in 18. That's really the player. That, that's really like the, the questioning of it. And, um, you know, for 32 straight years, Kansas has had a a, a birth in the NCAA tournament. Roy, Roy Woods is 15. Bill Self's uh, 19. So I think it's like. Yeah, 32, 32, because his first year he was Kansas on probation, thanks Larry Brown. Um, and, uh, you trade probation for a title? Um, I would, I mean, hey, I would trade. I would, and yeah, probation is fine. Um, uh, they, you know, they get banned for the postseason because of, of those dealings. That's perfectly fine. Uh, one thing I will say that Kansas has fought back on this very hard, and the awkwardness of having Mark Emmert award that title Bill Self is pretty funny to me because it's like you could tell on his face he didn't want to do it, <laughs> and then he got so um, I guess he was so embarrassed he ended up calling the Kansas City Jayhawks, but he uh, corrected himself pretty quickly. Um. But whatever happens, these these players. I mean, even if the title is stripped, it's not going to Carolina. So, uh, just like when Memphis lost the game, eventually had they won that title and they got stripped, they wouldn't be going to Kansas. So, um, but we'll see what happens there. Uh, they're supposed to rule on this in the summer. I say supposed to because they said they're supposed to roll on it two years ago. And while I'm, I can't be remiss without talking about the 2020 team that was more dominant than this team because uh, they had an immovable object in Yudoka Azubuki. They had Devin Dotson that year. COVID wrecked all that. Kansas was number one at the time. I think that 2020 team would have had a deep run, and and since there's no championship awarded, um, what's delayed is not denied. Thank you, Holly Rowe, for that quote. Since uh, the two number one teams on the men's and women's side, South Carolina, Kansas, didn't get a chance to play those two years ago, but they ended up winning the title on um, on a Sunday night and Monday night, respectively. So, with Coach K taking it to the house for good, there's going to be a kind of a new, uh, maybe a position open. I don't think Duke is going to take a tumble and, and become just an also-ran afterthought. 
but there's definitely going to be a challenge for that, you know, upper tier one or two spot, whichever spot that they hold. I think that North Carolina, Hubert Davis did a good job this year of reminding people that, hey, North Carolina is still one of the top programs in the country. They may not have the Vince Carters and Antoine Jamesons of the world going there anymore, but they've got some really good, tough kids that play smart, play tough, play together. You've got Kansas coming off the national championship. Bill Self's consistency, you spoke to that. You know, they're always in the mix. You've got, you know, Michigan State just because Izzo and what he brings, his experience, uh, but only one national championship. you got Jay Wright, the way that Villanova's been playing the last decade. They definitely deserve to be up there. you got Mick Cronin trying to get UCLA back up and running. Uh, the past couple of years, they've kind of been in the conversation. You got Gonzaga out west. Um, maybe their time has come and gone, as it seems like, you know, they're not progressing. They're kind of staying the same in the last couple of years. So it just feels like, you know, there's five or six different teams out here right now. Kentucky can throw them in the mix because they're going to be around. You know, they're chomping at the bit to kind of grab the mantle of the upper echelon number one thought of program that Duke has kind of held for the past, you know, four or five seasons or maybe last decade or so just with Coach K being the the image and the dominating force behind that. Who do you think is best equipped for that success and to become the new marketing force or, you know, the the team that's behind the college basketball seasons going forward? Uh, I think you rattled off a lot of those candidates. Um, I think... I think probably currently, even in spite of Kansas winning the title and moving into the number one slot in the all-time longest uh, program in Division One, um, I would say Villanova, Jay Wright. Uh, Jay Wright has the look, the charisma, um, I think because coaches have been Coaches have been more accustomed to being able to dress more casually now. We're going to miss his suit game because Jay Wright had a bomb-ass suit game. Um, and, and so, but I think the way he has had, the way he's um, got a Villanova through the last decade and half a decade to a decade, uh, he's basically made going over the Kings of Big Five basketball in Philly. Um, that's a spot that nobody in that area is taking anytime soon. Um, they have the biggest budget. Temple is nowhere. Temple's probably the distant second. And then you probably have to put Drexel, St. Joe's, and LaSalle. Um, my friend Dunphy's coming back to Philadelphia basketball coach in LaSalle. So we'll see if those South forks up the money to kind of get back to where Dunphy was able to get a Penn and Temple to the heights where they were. Um, but even even if they do, um, Villanova just being in the Big East itself is why, one of the reasons why, and they're the premier team in that conference as well. Um, I would say Gonzaga would be that team, but Gonzaga 
Gonzaga has to start winning the big one. Uh, Mark Few has been Gonzaga's coach since 99. That's when Gonzaga really came on the national scene, busted everybody's brackets, and they went from a bracket bust to a powerhouse, but uh, they've fallen short in two national championship games. So you could say they are the team that's up next, but they have to win. They have to win the big one. I would even, since we're on the Mark Few, uh, coaching tree, Tommy Lloyd, and what he's done in Arizona his first season. Um, but we thought Arizona was going to be in the pits after Sean Melder left. But um, he is, Tommy Lloyd's got that Arizona squad um, in a good position. I think he has a bigger budget in the Pac-12. And... And um, he's going to be definitely someone to watch out for. Um, Scott Drew at Baylor. And then Scott Drew, Bill Self, of course. Now that he has his second title. I mean, everybody in the Final Four had two titles since Kansas has won. And now Bill Self can join that that, uh, group of... Coaches with two times now, because uh, the first knock on him was he can't win the big one either. He did that in OA. Took a long time. Uh, took a good fourteen years uh, to get there. And I, I'd be very remiss on, you know, when they won in OA. That was more for my grandmother because she passed in 06. Because I know she would have been ecstatic had they. Has they won? I know she's been excited they won this year, but that first one was me just being overjoyed for her because of what happened to her. And then this one was this one was just more for my own personal celebration. So, well, congratulations! This is your victory lap here on this episode of Know the Score. So enjoy the summer. And I uh, will. Before reality hits, <laughs> and we'll see we'll see you back here in October to preview the season as we'll do it all over again. Um, now we'll transition into the NBA. We're getting here one last weekend left in the season. Uh, the playing tournament looks like it's shaping up in both conferences now. So Dwayne, run through the standings for me. Help me understand. I know we got the. Uh, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nets are going to be in it. The Hawks are in it. The Hornets are in it. And I can't remember the last team in the East that's going to participate. The Cleveland the Cavs. That's right. So it looks like the Hornets are going to draw the Nets, or are they going to get Cleveland? I love. Or is it going to be Charlotte, Atlanta, which is, you know, a rivalry type deal that would actually be really good for both cities because of attendance? Right, exactly. So, as we run down the standings, I'm just going to start at the top, and then I'll go into the playing round in just a second. So, in the East, uh, Miami's locked down the top seed in the East. Milwaukee, they beat Boston last night. Uh, They likely got the inside track to the number two seed. Uh, Boston is three. Philly is four. They're half a game behind the Celtics. 
uh, for that four spot. Toronto is five, and Chicago's locked into the six spot. Uh, so Chicago may either play Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly. Uh, we know Chicago's got a huge deal with uh, Milwaukee. Basically, they are the they're basically at the moment running the I hate Grayson Allen committee, um, which is a very long list of people that hate Grayson Allen. Um, if uh, what happened is Grayson Allen had a hard follow on Alex Caruso, which actually injured Caruso, and basically the Bulls have been headhunting Allen since uh, Nikola Vucevic got called for a flagrant foul, but he wasn't ejected or suspended. Um, but basically the Bulls, they have had it out for, uh, Grayson Allen, but it seems like Grayson Allen's just torching them because he's in their heads. So, um, definitely hate saying that name personally myself, but, um, that would be a good seven game war, especially the proximity of Chicago and Milwaukee. Um. So, yeah, to the play-in, the Nets are – they got the tiebreaker over the Cavaliers. They are in the seventh spot. So, the um, Brooklyn and Cleveland currently in Brooklyn at Barclays. That will be the winner getting the seventh seed. Loser will play for the eighth seed. Um, Charlotte will be going to Atlanta unless um, the – Hawks have the tiebreaker, so if the Hornets win and the Hawks lose, then the then the Hornets would be playing a home game at the Spectrum Center against the Hawks. Uh, the winner of that one will play for eighth. The loser is done for the season. And then the loser of the 7-8 game plays the winner of the 9-10 game. The winner of that game gets the eighth seed, and the loser goes home. So those are just a it's just a one game, right? It's not like yeah. if the road team wins, the home team gets a game back, right? Correct. Yeah, one one and done in the play in. Um the only time you're playing a multiple game is if you lose if if you're the in the Cavs case, if you're in the seven or eight spot, if you lose that game, you'll play another game, you will be the host of that game. And then the nine ten would go to the loser of that first game to play for the eighth seed. See, that's the part that confuses me. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not a series. It's just, yeah, it's not a series. So basically, what's going to happen is, let's just say uh, Brooklyn, the East plays on the 12th, right? So the Brooklyn and Charlotte, I mean, Cleveland and Brooklyn and yeah, so Cleveland and Brooklyn, the seven and eight teams will basically play first because um, that's what's going to happen there. The seven and eight teams play first. What will happen is, the, and we'll just focus on the team that loses. So the loser of that game plays one more time, and that that'll be for the eighth seed. And then the winner of the nine ten game will play the winner. The winner of the 9-10 game plays the loser of the first game, the 7-8 game, and then they play for the they'll play for the A seed because the winner of that 7-8 game gets the 7th seed. 
said, the last two playoff spots are basically open, and those four teams are playing for those last two spots. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's just one of those it's things a lot. where it's, it, rewards it's a the, lot. it rewards the higher seed for losing. Right, exactly. And that, that's basically, at first, I'm still honestly not a fan of it because – like, look, if you're in the top eight, you get in, but everybody wants to see, like, the calls for this. The proponents of this are basically like, maybe we can get a different matchup for the one or two seed. But in the NBA, the talent disparity is not like the NHL. You don't have a, a lower seed or a team that's eighth in a conference that can actually keep up with a number one team. It's just, it's just not there as it's not as prevalent in the NBA. Like you're not going to have a 94 uh, nuggets against the Sonics. You're not going to have that. You're not going to have a 2007 Golden State Warriors who torched Dallas Mavericks. You're you're just not going to have that as you're not going to have that that often, uh, especially now with the series being seven games. It's not going to happen as much, but of course these playing games bring in more money, and of course that is the root of all things in in the NBA and other sports because it's a business at the end of the day. On the Western Conference side, what are we looking at as far as uh, no Phoenix has clinched number one seed over yeah, there? So. And uh, who we got at the bottom going for those last two spots? Yeah, so, yeah, Phoenix locked in the best record in the NBA. That That is a given. Uh, also, other given is Memphis is locked into the number two seed. Um, probably playing, they're playing better without John Moran if that was even possible, but it's happening. Uh, so, yeah, so Memphis is the number two seed. Um, Golden State, um, they're a half game ahead of Dallas, but if the Mavericks and Warriors uh, end up with a tie record, it would go to Dallas, so the Warriors could drop to fourth. Um, Utah and Denver, Utah is the, high, the tie break over the Nuggets. Um, they are fifth. Denver is sixth with one game to play, so in the playing round, uh, this is the playing round is basically set. Uh, these teams are not changing, so we know that the um, the Clippers will go to Minnesota to play the Timberwolves. And if uh, Minnesota wins, they would get if the winner of this game would get Memphis as the seventh seed in the uh, first round, and then the nine and ten will be the San Antonio Spurs going to New Orleans to take on the Pelicans. Um, the loser of that game will be out. The winner will play the loser of the Clippers and Timberwolves. And that winner would play the Suns in the first round. Most notably absent from this rundown are the Los Angeles Lakers at 32 and 49. They are out I repeat, they are out of the um, playing playing standings. They're not going to be in the playoffs. 
Um, all the talent, but uh, derailed by injuries, chemistry issues, struggles, um, and the fall guy is going to be Frank Vogel, but another guy that people are blaming is Russell Westbrook. I don't think that Russell Westbrook necessarily deserves a lot of this criticism. I think that, yes, he's an odd piece in their puzzle that they tried to put together this year. But, you know, Anthony Davis doing what Anthony Davis does when they rely so heavily on him offensively and defensively. Um, Like we've talked about a lot, um, just not having, for that particular team, young and experienced players that had kind of been seasoned with LeBron, been through some battles with them, um, won a championship in the bubble. They got rid of all of those kids, Kuzma, Caruso, Ball, uh, kids that were there, you know, kind of learning underneath his uh, footprint. So there's a lot of other blame to go around. But, yes, Russell Westbrook is a big part of it because they expected, they had a lot of expectations from him and what he could contribute. Um but it just wasn't a good fit from the beginning of the season. I mean, you could just tell that Vogel didn't have a system that was equipped to handle this many people who need the basketball. And that kind of got exposed this year through his coaching. It, it, it puts LeBron in a position that LeBron has been trying to escape for the last, like, five seasons. And that is having to do everything. Still having to play point guard, still having to get people involved, still having to score points, still having to rebound. He's been trying to escape having to do that for the last five seasons. But the only way that the teams that he's on right now, the way they constructed, can be successful is if he he is that dominant. And it's hard to build your team around that. Yeah at this age in this stage of his career. Yeah. And and it doesn't help that on a um I don't know if it was on an Aaron Gov's a shop, a club was basically um who would you want to play for or play with? And he said Steph Curry and <laughs> Steph Steph here's this he's like, No, we good. <laughs> um Maybe like that. Don't need that experience. Um, but um, it's one of those. I guess he was on that. If you can't beat him, join him. Tip. But yeah, I definitely think because there's a lot that's going on with with this. I mean, these are the guys LeBron wanted on the team. I guess he bullied Rob Palenka into signing these guys. Um. They ended up having the oldest roster on the in the NBA as a result of this. Um, they, like you said, they got rid of they got rid of Ball and Ingram. Uh, they and uh, I think at the I think Randall joined the Pelicans before before Davis arrived, but they got rid of Ball and Ingram uh, for Anthony Davis. Then. They signed, um, and they dealt Kuzma and Caldwell Pope, two key cogs in that 2020 uh, championship team. 
dealt them to the Wizards to get Westbrook. Um, and I, I know he has the desire to, he wants to play with his son um, towards the end of his career whenever, whenever um, Bronny um, graduates the league. Um, he is going to be the all-time leading scorer in NBA history eventually. Uh, he did pass Carl Malone, so we know that's going to happen. Um, but a lot of uh, the Lakers are basically trying to find a way to get rid of Westbrook, even if the criticism is unfair. It looks like he's going to be the fall guy after Frank Vogel gets fired, because we know that's going to happen at the end of the season. Frank Vogel's a defensive coach, um, and I think we've touched on it so many times how key Jason Kidd was to that success. But, of course, Kidd is now in Dallas with the Mavericks. Um, with Luca, and um, so it's going to be a very interesting, interesting time um, in the offseason in Lakerland, but I love watching Lakerland burn personally, so I'm not taking this, I'm taking this as a comedy show and laughing all the way. This is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, Dwayne. Now it's time to shift over to the Masters. My best Before we do that. Yes, sir. Before we do that, there's actually some somber news. Oh, yeah. I was going to get to that at the end. Okay. Okay. We'll get to that then. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll bring them down like Casey Kasem. Okay. But uh, the Masters taking place this weekend. Big news there, sort of like WrestleMania this uh, the weekend before. Uh, the most important person in all of the sport returned, Tiger Woods. Tiger, Tiger Woods. Even yeah. at, what is he, 45 now? Still, yeah. nobody brings the excitement level out up to a fever pitch like Tiger. Competing for the first time in over two years after that horrible uh, car accident that mangled his foot and his ankle and his leg. Uh, there were some rumors that him and his son played the course a couple of weeks ago and he walked the course and he looked good. Then there was a little bit more scuttlebutt on Monday that, hey, he's out here shooting practice rounds. And uh, people started speculating that there was some stirring. And then on Wednesday, he announced it. He's like, hey, if nothing changes between now and the time I wake up in the morning, it's a go for me. And uh, he went out on Thursday and uh, he shot a one under. So it was, uh, you know, pretty good there. Yesterday, he blew up quite a bit, but scrambled back from some uh, some errant shots early to finish at uh, plus two. So he's a few shots over par, but, you know, not terribly down the leaderboard. So if you can have one of those, which is probably unlikely due to the weather, the wind is really bad uh, this weekend. Uh, But if Tiger can go on one of those patented Tiger runs, you never know. He's not that far out. I think the wind conditions 
are definitely going to play havoc with the leaderboard today, even though uh, the leader uh, was at eight under. I think that those shots are going to come back a little bit uh, today, but you never know, man. But, you know, it's just one of those things where at this particular point in his career, he can't do it consistently for four days, but maybe he could do it for two days, and it just happens to be which two days are they. Right. And I think it's really great to see a tiger healthy again. Um, like, uh, at the time of that accident, thank God he had his safety his seatbelt on. Thank God for all the safety features in that SUV. Uh, because that could have been a whole other story. Mm-hmm. And so, um, for him to recover, I know that had to take a lot of mental fortitude um, in that rehab process as much, if not more so than the physical, because you could always recover, but you always have that, you always have that, uh, you always have those uh, mental things you have to overcome. And, um, and he's recovering from something like this at 45, not when he's 25, you know? Right, exactly. And um, and then also not having a high-profile relationship as well. Um, he may, you know, he he has his lady who's a very low-key uh, kind of woman, nothing high-profile there. And that's, and you know, he's got his family, so that's uh, definitely something to celebrate. Uh, so glad he's back. Um, you know, even with even me personally, like, I'm not the biggest golf enthusiast, but I'll definitely keep an eye on what Tiger's doing. Because it it does it does grab even the most casual or person that doesn't follow golf. Tiger's gonna capture the attention because it's Tiger. Yep, yep. So Tiger Woods uh, made the cut first event back uh, since that accident. The Masters um, walking the course looks to be pretty good. Uh, we'll probably get a full, um, you know, uh, detailed story about what it really took for him to get there and go through this weekend uh, later on and just maybe how much, and you know, pain or whatever he's still suffering or what he's being bothered by. But uh, like you said, Dwayne, it's good to see him out there. It's good for golf. You know, they've been trying for, you know, 10, 15 years now to kind of get golf prepared for life after Tiger, but – Nobody seemed to step up, and they're just fortunate that Tiger still wants to play and is uh, in the physical condition uh, to be able to play. Uh, and uh, CBS is definitely overjoyed uh, with yes. this news for their weekend ratings. Um, now we'll get to the the somber breaking news that happened right before we started recording. Um, Dwayne Haskins has passed away. Uh, former... Ohio State quarterback, uh, runner-up in the Heisman voting, um, was struck by a car while apparently on a run with some 
teammates from the Steelers. Uh, they were down in South Florida, uh, you know, training, uh, getting ready, I guess, for the OTAs and, and, and the mini camps and things that take place after the draft, uh, which is just a couple of weeks away. And uh, it's reported that he was struck by a vehicle while running. That's all that they have released. Um, don't know what time of the morning, if it was dark, or any of the related details of the incident. But, I mean, just a major just shock um, to hear that uh, 24-year-old guy still trying to find his way in the NFL. Um Definitely have a chance to start. Yeah, by all accounts, you know, trying to put the work in to 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 get to a place where, you know, he could reach his full potential of his career and to have that just instantly taken away um, is is just very sobering and hopefully um, you know, his family and friends can can find some peace and, and find some understanding and some and some clarity, but yeah, man, just a, a totally shocking and, and sad uh, story to hear about Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. Anybody passing, you're never ready for, especially when it's sudden. You know, like you said, he's only 24, and he was, like you said, he's literally just. Finding his way, um, definitely had the opportunity to be the starter uh, with um, Ben Roethlisberger moving on from the game, retiring. Yeah, yeah definitely not something you want to, you know, see for anybody, you know. Is he may have not been, you know, he he had a great career uh, at Ohio State, and it was unfortunate things like the style of play, whatever may have happened in Washington, but you know when you look at it from that point, he found a home in Pittsburgh. He found, you know the. QB room, the head coach that was willing to, you know, have him compete for that starting job because it's wide open. And I think that, you know, it's, it's terrible for his wife, uh, his family, and um, our uh, TMP, TMPs um, all around to. Um, the Haskins family, the Steelers, and the Commanders organization because they they did draft him, and um, even though it he moved on from him, you never want to see anybody lose a family member in any regard. Right, right, right. So, um, just a, a sad note, um, you know, for Dwayne Haskins. Uh, and, you know, people were, you know, trying to, you know, figure out was this going to be maybe his last chance to, you know, stick and stay in the NFL and then to, you know, see this happen to him um, while he's trying to, you know, work hard and keep his career afloat. just, uh, you know, so tragic and, and um like I said, just shocking uh, 
to 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 see that uh, right here while I'm doing my show prep, get my last little finishing touches for the show together, and and just have to add that to the show note was definitely a a, a sad thing to do, and and just very like I said, just very sobering. Uh, you know you you have your you know issues with people as they perform on the field and you know you don't know these people personally just by what you get to see from you know one three hour exhibition every week but you know I'm saying regardless of you know what happened you know during that time in between the lines you you still understand that you know there's a family and the feelings and, and all those other things involved and like you said, you just never want to see this happen to anybody, no matter how, you know, disappointing you may disappointed personally you may be in how they perform for your particular team. You still want them to be able to, you know, experience a long career. Sometimes it just doesn't work out for your organization, but um, you know, you never wish this type of tragedy upon them. So it's just very difficult to see this happen to Dwayne Haskins. I was really hoping that you know, he could find his way and he could, you know, reclaim um, the Ohio State manager. Yeah, you know, reclaim his, you know, the hold on his career that he had coming into being drafted uh, with such potential, but not to be. And um, and, uh, we'll probably, you know, get more testimonies just about how hard he was working and things uh, later in the week, but just unfortunate, man, and uh, just another reminder to Tell the loved ones that you think about, or you know, you love them, or if they're on your mind, yeah. tell them, don't don't put it off to tomorrow or another hour or two because you just never know how fleeting all of this yeah. is. Yeah, man, and it's definitely definitely um, hard to. Um, it's hard, man. It's really hard. Um, and uh, uh, man, you know I can only just just definitely appreciate the time that you have and the people that you have, and um, you know a lot of people, you know people always want to kind of discount the whole saying that life is too short this is proof that life is definitely too short right uh, like the, like 24 years old like you said we'll know what goes on after a three hour game there may be there may have been some things that never will get settled again because of this so yeah definitely whenever yeah, it's just a situation like this where really put things in perspective that life is definitely very short and you know that's a that's proof of that. Right, right. Well, it's a tough way to, to end the show, but we come to that point in time where Dwayne, your final thought and your shout outs and thank you, sir. Well, Shout out to you, Don. Uh, pleasure once again for um, being on here with you, rocking with you. Uh, always talking about the um, ongoings in the sports world every week. 
Um, great WrestleCast uh, of during WrestleMania weeks. A lot of action. A lot of it was actually a great tonight event. Um, we definitely enjoyed the Mania cast. A lot of tweets in the spaces. Um, my final thought has to has to go out to opening day. Um, is definitely um. Opening day was a success for many teams. Um, We already had our first uh, base brawl of the season. Um, Well, actually, not a base brawl. Show off the guy be starting stuff, man. Nobody was even doing nothing until he came out there talking. Mm, I don't know about that. You got popped in the face, man. You don't don't pop (laughs) No, that was the fourth dude they had hit, so... Yeah, yeah, it was time for Butt Show Watch to come out there and do some talking. I'm just messing with you. Yeah, I know the the um, and when you strike your star player in the in the face, it's always uh, weird on that bun attempt like that too, because you know he's leaning in, and that kind of hurts the situation. That doesn't help things either. But yeah, the, it it was uh it was kind of getting out of hand as far as the Mets uh, were we're uh, looking at things and so some yeah. actions had to be taken and uh, yeah that's what we got yeah James McCann got plunked twice um P. Alonzo had a bloody lip in the ninth um yeah so basically uh, DC shed plunked Lindor fortunately there's no um um, fortunately, uh, the X-ray Lindor came back negative, no broken bones, passed the concussion test. I don't know how he passed the concussion test, but he, uh, did, which is, um, great to hear. Um, uh, Mets ended up winning the game, which is the ultimate revenge, uh, 7-3, um, two down, 160 to go, I guess. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> um, but jokes aside, um, great to have opening day back. Um, uh, Red Sox Yankees this weekend. Many different ways to watch baseball now. You got TBS airing it on Tuesday nights. ESPN, of course, still got the Sunday Wednesday thing going on. And if you have Apple TV Plus, you can stream MLB on Friday nights. So, and then there's also YouTube as well. YouTube also um, has an MLB game during the week. And if you are financially well off, you can also get the MLB Extra Innings Package or MLB.TV. I should be getting paid for this endorsement, but hey. Well, uh, for the last five years, people have been talking about how the MLB streaming service is probably the best streaming service sports-wise of them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they've been able to capitalize and branch out on that. And like you said, to Apple TV and YouTube. And, and Peacock on May 8th. They're going to be streaming on Peacock. Yeah, and putting those games in different locations based off of their platform. So, 
Um, baseball definitely still old school as far as uh, you know the play on the actual field. Even though they are starting to change some things, the Universal designated hitter. Thank God they taking the guy off a of second base for extra innings. Ugh, that's the dumbest thing ever. Um, yeah, I get why they did it, but I was not a fan of that. Either. Yeah, that's the dumbest thing ever. So, you know, but as far as embracing the new technology for their game to be oh, seen, yeah, no more oh, yeah, they're, they're ahead of, like, the NFL. I mean, the NFL gets by on basically having the red zone. They're like, hey, that's all we need. That's our streaming service right there, red zone. But they're so far behind in what, it, you know, in being able to have just a centralized streaming platform. Uh, for their games uh, they you know basically that's I think that's something they don't really want to put money into because they're basically like hey direct TV this time of the year comes up you just handle it and you know yeah. things go through the direct TV um, Sunday yeah Sunday ticket for their uh, streaming but it seems like to me that at some point with the money that they generate through TV that they would want to handle that themselves and just you know add that streaming service to another part of the revenue budget, but you know, I guess it's I know the, they I know they're moving Prime Thursday night to Prime Video. Yeah, um, yeah, they're kind of. Well, I don't know if that's a better because I'm still thinking old school terms. I still think if you put a game on Thursday night on your regular schedule, you know, your Foxes and your NBCs your or regular, whatever. Yeah. I still think that more people were going to watch that than even though people do enjoy being able to stream things. I think that the ability to have the simulcast thing like they have it where you watch it on TV, it comes on this channel and being able to, if you're out, be able to pull it up on your phone on Amazon, probably as a, um, as, as kind of like a sidekick. I think that probably would work much better than just having the platform go strictly to prime. I, I think that it would be uh, probably diminishing returns, uh, but we'll see how that apparently, you know, the demand they think is there and they're going to explore it. Uh, what do you think about, um, I don't know if we talked about this. I think we might have did, but I'll just rehash it since we're talking about football and it popped in my mind and then I'll get my final thought. Uh, Troy Aikman and, and Joe Buck going over to Monday Night Football. I think this is going to be a good thing. Um, as much as they may not be universally liked among our generation, old people love them. So, um, I won't say old people, older people, their generations before us, they actually enjoy the commentary. So, um, I think it's a huge move for ESPN. They haven't had real consistency with the commentator commentating team over the last few years um you know nothing against uh lewis rick or booger mcfarland but mcfarland is a comp he's a college guy um and i think i think we have somebody who who is experienced and who is um polished as as um and they know each other very well uh it's going to be a very good um combination then you add lisa salters to the mix 
Uh, I think it's going to be a good, a good fit. It'll give you a good Monday Night Football more consistent fit. And let's face it, Monday Night Football has lost its luster over the last several years. And I think if you get a commentating team with the insight that Troy Aikman has, and um, and we had Joe Buck in this, who's like the voice, like it or not, Joe Buck is the voice of our sports generation. Um, World Series, Super Bowls. Uh, I know when the Super Bowl goes back to ABC, because it will be on ABC um, through the ESPN presentation, of course, because Disney. Um, we'll be hearing their voices again. So um, I think it's a good move for them, a great steal. Uh, Fox is going to have to elevate somebody to, uh, I don't know if it'll be Burkhart, Greg Olson, Chris Myers, and and uh, his partner. We'll just have to see Kenny Albert. There's a lot of candidates for that number one team on Fox. I'm going to give my final thought on, uh, of course, got to talk about some NASCAR. wouldn't be my final thought if I couldn't talk about NASCAR. But uh, it was um, it was not the thing I was expecting to talk about. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. showed up at Martinsville this weekend to run his one uh, race a season down in the Xfinity Series. So Martinsville Speedway was the benefactor this year of the Dale Jr. bump and sales and, you know, viewership on TV. So, and Dale Jr. genuinely goes out there just to have a good time. It's, uh, if he wins, and that's cool, but it's more of a way to support the uh, the organization and to get them some extra funding to carry them through the entire season. Uh, so it's more of a, you know, money deal, sponsorship deal, helping the bottom line type deal for Dale Jr. Plus he gets to go. And scratch that itch to go race. He's talking about on his podcast that he really misses racing. He hadn't got it out of his blood yet. And uh, he he still has a difficult time uh, watching the cars go around. So he got to participate in that. But what we didn't expect was a dust up on pit road. Ty Gibbs, Sam Mayer, uh, Ty Gibbs, uh, grandson of Joe Gibbs, drives for uh, Joe Gibbs in the Xfinity Series. A very aggressive young driver, uh, 18, 19 years old, and right now he's um, he's having a difficult time gaining the respect of his other competitors due to his aggressiveness, especially when it comes to uh, last laps and, and the ends of races. Um, you know, he is not afraid to bump people and move people, and in some instances, wreck people to get. To where he wants to be which is the victory lane and uh, last night at martinsville uh he was on the receiving end as a lot of people have been calling for somebody anybody to give you know ty gibbs a little bit of his own medicine towards the end of a race and that's exactly what happened between him and sam mayor going for the uh the win and then uh after the race on pit road they decided to have a little talk about it well sam mayor comes over takes the helmet off He's in uh, Ty Gibbs' face. Uh, Ty Gibbs keeps his helmet on, and he's kind of talking to him, and he motions to him like, hey, what are you going to do? I still got my helmet on. you going to fight me? You let me take my helmet off. And so Sam Mayer kind of like mushes his helmet as Ty Gibbs is kind of like reaching to take it off. And, and I think he was in the process of taking it off, but then Sam Mayer like 
shoved him in the chest like a couple more times while he was reaching up to grab his helmet and take it off. And then the next thing you know, Ty Gibbs shoved him back and then hit him with a two-piece. And we got a whole dining jerk on pit road. And so the uh of course the NASCAR crowd, they don't like Ty Gibbs. They you know, they have their reasons why they think that, you know, everything was given to him, he hadn't earned anything. So he's already got that nepotism fighting uh against them. And then, you know, their number one thing is, Oh, how are you fighting with your helmet on? So <laughs> So that's a uh, so you know that's been the big point of contention on Twitter with NASCAR fans is, oh you know the first time somebody refs you up you have a problem with it and not only do you want to fight them but you're fighting with your helmet on so <laughs> you know that's the, that's that crowd but you know NASCAR needs to heal somebody that they can all get behind to not like that makes the sport so much better. And especially when that person comes out and he wins against all the people's wishes, that definitely creates a stir for the sport. The Xfinity series definitely just got more exciting. More people know about that series and know about Ty Gibbs uh, and his background now than they ever did from him just winning races the way that he has the last couple of weeks. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what happens going forward. Uh, with just how people race him and how he responds to people racing him. But uh, guys like like Ty Gibbs and Ross Chastain who go out there and aren't afraid to win the races and and send people off course to do it, they definitely uh, spice up what NASCAR uh, is and they bring an excitement level that you know in the closing laps of that guy's in second place that you're going to see some fireworks on the track and possibly off of it after the race is over. So, um, you know, Dale Jr. Was the, was, the, was the narrative going in, but the story coming out of it is uh, Ty Gibbs uh, throwing those haymakers uh, to the face of uh, Sam Mayer. And Sam Mayer got pretty good cuts on his face too, man. I mean, those things landed with some pretty good solid connections. So, um, if you want that smoke with Ty Gibbs, helmet on or not, he's showing you that he's about that action. So y'all might want to watch out how y'all run up on him next time. Well, that's a good done up. <laughs> so, and I uh, thank you for those uh, kind words uh, about the the WrestleCast and and the efforts that we put forth uh, this long this past weekend. Lots of wrestling was consumed. Glad that I had Jade and Mozart underscore Reese to help me talk about it. So I'll start my shout outs just by giving oh. those guys and gals oh, yeah. uh, for, for so, sitting through. I got to tell, I got to tell Jade that I'm not going to stop the T-Rex joke. So it, it's not stopping. Uh, she knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and then, um, then shout out to my brother, uh, my brother, Mozart underscore Reese. Um, definitely enjoy the work that you do been a while since i've been on there but it's all good i'll 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 wait till my invite is there yeah man we got to get back to to getting some of you guys back on the shows on a more consistent basis um it's just you know my schedule's so difficult it's hard to try life life is life and yeah a lot of people in for days and stuff so but maybe through the summertime once uh things slow down for me uh I'll, i'll be able to we'll be able to get through the summer with with some guests and things like that 
But uh, the rest of your uh, my shout outs, just please, please continue to uh, support the CSPN. Go to CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. Uh, buy things from our sponsors. Uh, also, you can check us out over on the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash CSPN media. Become a patron and support uh, the CSPN in that way. Uh, check out our exclusive content that we make strictly for the Patreon uh, page. Uh, lots of good content up. More content to come, as always. So for my co-host, Dwayne, congrats on your national championship, bro. And I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.